If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the Word of the Lord endures forever. I continue to contend that the biggest problem we face as a movement is not that people have heard our arguments and rejected them. It's that they've never heard a persuasive pro-life case or never taken the time to consider one. The catechism that we've been told by the world is Christianity is backward. It's quite the opposite. The push toward LGBTQ rhetoric is a push backwards in time, backwards to a pre-Christian morality. The higher critic is dead or dying, and Jesus rose again from the dead. So I'm going to take his view of the Bible rather than your view of the Bible. I think we need to be very open to the reality that if baptism is a new birth and your first birth took place without your knowledge or consent, then your second birth can also take place without your knowledge or consent. It is the gift to you of a new life. Hi, this is Mark in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and fathers watching their four-month-old daughters love listening to Issues Etc. We always invite our listeners comment, question, some feedback. On this Tuesday afternoon, January the 9th, we've got some comments on Craig Partner, a recent conversation with him on the Doctrine of the Trinity, and some honest questions about church shopping, real-life questions. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's time to go through listener email, the Issues Etc. comment line. Then in about uh, 30 minutes, Ted Kober joins us. It's part two of our conversation with him on forgiveness and unforgiveness. He's co-author of The Issues, Etc., a book of the month, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. First, listener email and The Issues, Etc., comment line. We begin with Jim, a running listener in Oregon. And this is in response to your interview, as you mentioned, to Craig Parton's chapter in our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, that the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, is a late construct. Jim writes, he has three points to make. First, at least twice Craig mentioned Jonah and the whale. We all know that a whale is not identified in the book of Jonah or by Jesus when he refers to this event. Let's deal with these one by one. Yes, I think he was just using kind of a common colloquialism for uh, the story that we all know. The, The Jonah story talks about a big fish. It doesn't necessarily say a whale, but it's kind of come down to a whale because the whale, although not a fish, is among the largest of uh, aquatic creatures. So we tell that story to our kids and our grandkids as Jonah and the whale. And then we often have to point out, well, it likely was not a whale. Could didn't mean it didn't, didn't have to be a whale, but it was simply called a great fish there. Is that a distinction without a difference? I mean, a whale is a big fish. It's a big mammal that, aquatic mammal. It's not technically a fish, but yes. Oh, I see. Okay. That's what people always get hung up on. But I I will say this. 
people of the ancient world wouldn't have said a whale is a mammal that happens to swim underwater and is able to hold its breath for a long time. They wouldn't have made a distinction between a whale or a dolphin or any of the other seafaring mammals and a fish, which by definition is a creature that is able to oxygenate its blood through gills rather than lungs. So I don't think they would have made that distinction. So they may well have called the whale a fish. Are you saying they didn't have terms like genus, species? Not because they were unintelligent. It just wasn't important to them. And they also didn't have an incredible range of experience. When they caught fish, they ate them. They didn't study them. So I think we can give uh, Craig a pass on that one. You know, I looked up this last interview with Craig. You know what the interview was before with Craig? What was that? It was his chapter in our book, Objections Over Rule 2. First century people were primitive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Jim's second point. Craig seemed to imply that Jesus' last words were Trinitarian. Todd seemed to concur when he mentioned that Jesus' ministry was bracketed by the appearance of the Trinity at Jesus' baptism and his last words. I assume they're referring to Matthew 28. While those are Jesus' last words as recorded by Matthew, they were not Jesus' last words. In context, they were spoken by Jesus when he was in Galilee. Jesus' last recorded words are in Acts 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Though his last unrecorded words were a blessing as he was ascending, Luke 24, verse 50. I suppose one could argue that Jesus' true last words were the ones spoken to John as recorded in the book of Revelation. Right. I mean, if you want to get technical about it, he's still speaking. So Jesus hasn't shut up. He's still speaking, albeit through his word and his sacraments. So it, again, is kind of a figure of speech to talk about Jesus' last words. And we were speaking in the context, you're quite right, of Matthew's gospel. In fact, we talked about this with Pastor Will Whedon the other day. And he said, if you look at Matthew's gospel, everything leading up to the baptism is kind of a prologue. And then Jesus' ministry begins with the baptism and the appearance of the Trinity. And then Jesus' ministry, according to Matthew, ends with, again, another explicit reference to the Trinity. Just talking about how the Trinity is bookends everything in Matthew's gospel. Finally, Jim writes, while he mentions that the doctrine of the Trinity is found in the Old Testament, it is not clear what kind of understanding the Old Testament saints had of this teaching. They certainly did not have a Nicene understanding. Thanks for your work, concludes Jim, a running listener in Oregon. Right, and what we need to say is the Old Testament people, had they heard, the Old Testament believers, had they heard, say, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed or the Athanasian Creed, would have said, oh, yes, that's the God I worship. They would not have denied it. But their knowledge of the Trinity, because it had yet to be fully revealed, not that it wasn't revealed, but fully revealed in Jesus Christ, their knowledge of the Trinity would have been somewhat deficient, but not wrong. What they believed about God was not wrong. It was simply less than, in terms of the details, than is revealed in Jesus Christ and the nature of the Trinity. Do the Old Testament believers believe in the Trinity? Yes, they did. Would they have been able to articulate it in the way that New Testament Christians are, especially in those creeds? No, that had not been revealed to them yet. But had you, this is all completely hypothetical, had you shown, say, Moses, 
the Athanasian Creed, he would have said, okay, yeah, that, that, that's exactly the God that appeared to me on Mount Sinai. That second person of the Trinity, that's the one. I saw him. So he would not have denied it. He wouldn't have said, oh, that's a foreign idea. He would have said, okay, that's, that fills in the gaps for me. Within minutes of the conclusion of our last email comment line episode, we received this email. Tom, Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I'm not surprised. Dogs are not intelligent in the same way humans are, but they are intelligent nonetheless. Similarly, cats are not intelligent in the same way dogs are, but they are intelligent nonetheless. My cats live in my home with me, not in my garage. This means I can observe them closely, and I'm surprised by their intelligence every day. Anyway, happy new year to you all, concludes Tom in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I knew when you opened this can of worms... Minutes, literally minutes, we got this email. And, it's, and look, I've had opportunity to observe cats very carefully because I've had a lot of cats live in my home. A lot of cats live in my home. My current cat lives in the garage because I'm tired of cats in my house. And she's outlived everyone, all of her children. She's outlived every other cat that we've ever had. She's 17, going on 18, and still going strong. So every, every single morning when I go out to the kitchen to make coffee, she's out there. I can hear her. Bleh, bleh. She, she bleats like a sheep. Wait, can you say that again? Bleh, bleh. That's what she says. <laughs> when she meows, she sticks out her tongue. And she sounds like a little tiny sheep. So, but I said, cats are as intelligent as they have to be to do what they do. They have a cat intelligence as intelligent as they have to be to do what they do. God has equipped them for this. They're not dumb by cat standards, by human standards, there's not a lot going inside. You know, they look at you straight in the eye. That's what makes them seem so intelligent because they look you right in the eye like they're making a connection with you. They're not. They re- Some of them do, but they're really not. Mostly it's instinct. And dogs are as intelligent as they have to be to get done what dogs get done. And, and that means being very, very clever in looking more intelligent than they actually are. My daughter just got a new dog. No. A Pomeranian. It doesn't weigh anything. It's a balloon. When you pick it up, there's absolutely no weight for this little puppy. Oliver is his name. Very cute. For now. He will, he'll make it to eight pounds if, if he's lucky. Didn't you tell me that your dogs can spell? Oh, yeah. Every dog I've ever had has been able to spell. I can spell a word, and they know, they know the context. If I spell food, my dog barks at me. If I smell walk, my dog barks at me. And it's because over the years, I've substituted the spelling of those words so as, so as not to get the dog barking, and the dog's figured out, oh, in context, W-A-L-K means walk. So can't spell, but they can, yeah, they, a, they, yeah. they understand the context very, very well. Do you attribute the longevity of your 17-year-old feline to Milstadt? Mice? You mean uh, Waterloo? Oh, you let, yeah. She has yeah, never... Yeah, you're, you're pastor in, in Millstone. She's never, she's never been a... It never brought us a single animal. All of the cats bring us every manner of animal. Rabbits, birds, little rodents that I don't even know what they are. They're strange little rodents, moles, you name it. This cat has never brought us one thing. She just stands outside waiting for her food every morning. So how do you, I will how do you say explain? She lives, she lives in my garage, but we do have a warming box for her 
I had a vent installed that goes out into the garage when we first built the house. And the, there's, a, there's a box. That, her little house sits on that vent. I don't know. If you recall, the last ice storm we had, I came to your house to pick you up and bring you to work. I saw that cat roaming around the streets. <laughs> I didn't see any warming box. When did you come and pick me up? Don't you remember that I came to pick, or maybe I picked up a, did I pick up equipment? You picked, what? you dropped off equipment. Maybe. Yeah, I dropped off this equipment. This was a long yeah, time yeah, ago. Yeah, for you to do it from your home. Yeah. During an ice storm. But I saw that cat. I didn't, he was just wandering around. It was like, who knows what the temperature was. You got plenty of fur. God made them to live outside. God made these creatures to live outside. Not all, not long lives, not 17 years, but God made them to live out. That's what I tell my wife. She says, do you think, do you, her name is uh, Piper. Do you think Piper's cold? And I said, no. She has, she has natural fur coat. I think she's just fine. Now, when it got, when it got to be sub zero, like 10 below, we brought her in and put her in the basement. And she hated it, so... So, uh, how do you explain Piper's longevity? I have no idea. Because it is not from, you know, constantly being taken well care of. She has not been to the vet in... Tough love. She hasn't been to the vet since... <laughs> Piper has not been to the vet since my daughter brought her home. My 15-year-old daughter brought her home 17 years ago. And I took her to the vet the very first time. Vet says, this cat's pregnant. He said, you don't want to have one cat. You have six cats. And that was the last time Piper went to the vet. And she lived 17 years, so. Or the last time you adopted a cat like that, right? No, that was actually the uh, first time of two. For me, it was one, one, and, was one and done with adopting <laughs> pregnant cats. That was one, one year later, my, brother, my daughter brought home yet another stray pregnant cat, Sugar, who's been dead for a long, long time. So perhaps the lesson to be learned here from one Piper is avoid big pharma. <laughs> no vaccinations. Fooey yes. on those vets. No offense to my friends out there who are veterinarians. We're going through listener email and the issues, etc. Comment lane on this Tuesday, January the 9th. Stay tuned. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the Word of the Lord endures forever. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison. 
president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. I hold this letter here in my hand A plea, a petition, a kind of prayer Life Week 2024 begins this Sunday, January the 14th. Lutherans for Life and Why for Life will be exploring a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. For additional information, visit lutheransforlife.org and look for Life Week 2024 lutheransforlife.org We're going through listener email and the issues etc. comment line. Here's a great question from Kyle. I'm trying to find a new home church and as unique as this sounds I remember a suggestion by Pastor Fisk to not only look on the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod locator but also on the issues etc. locator. The difference being congregations listed with you all tend to provide more faithful congregations. I'm assuming this means the difference between a church that may be going more liberal with things versus congregations that are sticking to the traditional bread and butter of what we should be going towards. My dilemma is, yes, one of the congregations that you have listed is 10 minutes away from me. However, they don't have larger support groups or services like a men's group or other opportunities for fellowship compared to another congregation about 20 minutes away that has those options but would be considered more liberal and is only on the LCMS locator website, not your website. I'm not trying to get stuck in the weeds here, but would I be able to ask you for some guidance? The main reason I'm considering the congregation with more options is because I'm alone in this area with no friends or family. So in addition to wanting to strengthen solid faith, I need to build a community. Thanks for the email and thanks for listening, Kyle. Okay, so your, your, your secondary and second concern there is very important because one of the things that evangelical churches and Lutheran churches who are kind of evangelical church wannabes have done very well is they have realized and acted upon the insight that a congregation is also a family and sometimes, for some, a surrogate family. So they've emphasized those kind of things in the congregational life that while not essential to the congregation's existence are greatly beneficial, if only in a human sense, but often also in a spiritual sense, to people who need community. So the irony is that some of these big box churches where the pastor doesn't know your name, they have a better system of surrogate family or surrogate community than many congregations where the pastor does know your name. Now, it doesn't have to be an either or, but that is kind of the sad irony. My pastor doesn't even know who I am, wouldn't recognize me on the street, 
But I do have a group of people in that congregation that do know me and have become a Christian community to me. So this is something that confessional Lutheran congregations could do better because in most confessional Lutheran congregations, the pastor does know your name and he knows lots of things about you, which is very important for him to do his job. And if only by kind of partnering with other local congregations, they can try and build some of that community stuff too. Because it is a biblical truth that the church is a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means we live like a family. And for some people who are without family or friends in the area, it becomes a surrogate family. It becomes not a substitute family, but a surrogate family. So an adopted family, that's a good way to put it. So we could do better that way. Now, my advice when looking for a congregation is always threefold. First, and this is a very basic thing, but you got to start small as in the small catechism. A Lutheran congregation that claims to be a confessional Lutheran congregation, do they use Luther's small catechism not only in the instruction of the young, but also in the instruction of adults? Do they use it? That is a, in my book, a sine qua non. I I imagine it could be that a congregation would not use Luther's small catechism and still remain Lutheran, but it would be very hard for them to do that. There's a reason why the Reformers referred to this as the layperson's Bible. So if we're instructing people in the six chief parts of the Christian faith, if that's not being done, you would not have a Lutheran congregation very long. Number two, do they use a synodically approved hymnal? And not just have it in the pew or have it on the shelves down in the basement, but do they actually use it? That is, use the liturgy and the hymnody from that. They don't have to use all the liturgies, but do they use the liturgy and the hymnody that are provided and agreed upon that are in agreement with our our scriptural and confessional stance? That's number two. And then three, and if you've got one and two, you're probably going to have three, but three is the teaching and the preaching of this congregation and their practice, especially with regard to the Lord's Supper, is it faithful to Scripture and the confessions? That's the third one. That's the big one, the most detailed one. And if you have a congregation that has those three things, you probably, very likely, have a solid confessional Lutheran congregation. Now, will every congregation, will they be firing on all eight cylinders with regard to those three criteria? Not every congregation will fire on all eight cylinders. There are going to be some anomalies in there. But remember, this is not about finding the perfect church, but the best church available to you. So, you know, there are things that can be improved in any good faithful congregation. Yes, many things can be improved. If the pastor or the congregation thinks that they have arrived with, you know, kind of the epitome of faithfulness, then that is a sign that they have become complacent. We are urged by Scripture to be diligent in being faithful. Pastors are urged to be diligent in faithfulness, not complacent in faithfulness. So that would be my advice. But maybe a good thing is to go to that, to go to the congregation that is, to use your words, kind of a more faithful Lutheran congregation and say, hey, is there any way we can work out something with another congregation in the area where we can have a part in their groups? Because I kind of need this. So here's a great example. I just got an email today from Pastor Mark Bestel at Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, and he and Pastor Paul Mummy at St. John Lutheran in Sycamore, Illinois, and the other one's Elgin, Illinois, in suburbs of Chicago, put on singles events. And two 
faithful, confessional Lutheran congregations putting on these events, that's a great idea or a great example of what our listeners looking for. And I think a lot of congregations do this with youth groups because they got a handful of youth, but they don't have enough to really kind of constitute a dynamic group. So they will partner with another congregation. We do this, the congregation I serve, we do this with several other congregations where when we do youth events, we do it with the other congregations because then you kind of get a critical mass of young people in the room. This event, by the way, if you're in Greater Chicago, is uh, Saturday from 1 to 7 in the afternoon of February 10th at Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois. And the speaker will be Dr. Chad Kendall of uh, Concordia University, Texas. But, you know, one thing we know about this, the, the younger generations, they're much more relational, familial, and they don't have extended family. You know, they didn't grow up on the farm where mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa are a couple acres down the road. I, I've noticed it with the young people that we happen to hang out with occasionally, and they want to get together and play cards. They're like my parents and grandparents' generation. They want to get together and play cards. They want to get together and play games. They want to do this kind of stuff. A lot of it's because they're distant from their own families, and you still need that. One final email. Greg from Texas, Todd and Jeff, I listened with interest to your coverage of the situation at Concordia University, Texas, April 13th. With subsequent in-depth reports, June 22nd, July 14th, the reporting in the Synod's vote August 2nd, and finally on September 7th. I've heard nothing since. I was anticipating a court date or settlement to be announced. Can you update us on the status of the suit between the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and Concordia University, Texas? Fill us in the who, what, where, when, why, how. We'll need to get Tom Halverson back on. I sent him an email this morning. And, uh, this email. So we can get an update, but... What I have heard through reliable sources in a very cursory way is that there was an attempt at some kind of a meeting that the leadership of Concordia University, Texas refused to have. There was an attempt at some kind of rapprochement. I don't even know what it was. It failed. Synod said, look, we have already told you what we're going to do if we cannot get you to rescind your actions and Synod's doing it. Now, I don't know where they are in the legal process, but I think that threshold has been crossed. Is there always an open door or should there always be an open door to say, okay, now if the leadership gets its head back on straight and decides to repent and rescind its actions, then we can talk about dropping the legal case, of course. In fact, that's what the legal system is probably going to continue to push toward but at this point, we'll just await some updates from Tom Halverson, and we'll have him back on as quickly as possible. When we come back, Dr. Ted Coburn joins us. He has co-authored The Issues, Etc., a book of the month for January, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives, part two of a conversation with him on forgiveness and unforgiveness. I'm going to sit right down and write myself a letter. From you. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc., Help us reach more listeners in 2024 
Subscribe, rate, and review issues, etc. today. Have you ever wanted a resource to share with first-time visitors of your congregation to help them understand why we worship the way we worship, why your church gathers the way they gather to receive our Lord's gifts? Pick up your copy of the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, which is The Divine Service, A User's Guide. To order a copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website to learn more, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. A blind sinner is carried to baptism administered by a pastor. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. That was the epiphany event where our eyes were opened to see the amazing grace of God in the very face of Jesus. Tennessee is one of the most beautiful places in the USA, and at Praise Lutheran, you'll find the most beautiful gospel, God saving sinners through the death and resurrection of His Son for you, given faithfully each Sunday in word and sacrament. Praise Lutheran is a confessional liturgical church located in Maryville, Tennessee, right in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. We're growing, but there's always room for you. Visit us online at praiselutheran.com. Confessional Lutherans, we've got your back. You're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Geeshan. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry. It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.